Well, good morning, and it's, it's a great privilege to be back with you, and I will make sense out of those verses there. You'll see they're, they're actually critical verses to this morning's passage from Joshua. Um, for me to be here, and well, those of you who don't know who I am, since I'm kind of a phantom on Sundays, is I'm, I'm George Lockyer. I am on staff here right now and, and uh, serving you in kind of behind the scenes. And um, for me to be here this morning, as Brad mentioned, is uh, he had requested or asked me, but it was with these puppy eyes. <laughs> they came and he said, I asked five people to do this. And could you please do it, and I felt so sorry. <laughs> so I agreed to do this, and then when I saw this is Joshua 9, I said, now I know why 5 turned you down. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, I, and, and I'll have to say, this, this was an absolutely fascinating study for me. So I'm, I'm actually excited, and hopefully I can take this to you in such a way that you'll walk out just really as ominous as those verses seemed is that you'll see the connection to it, the uh, storyline here and how it is really brings to us something that uh, when you walk out, I, I'm hoping that you are nourished and just really refreshed by it. But to, to start with this morning is, what I'd like to do is just read the chapter to you. And many of you would think, you know, I think, didn't we cover this like when I was in children's Sunday school? And it, it is one of those stories that goes through there. But <clears throat> on just the first reading of it is that you draw certain things that, that are good to bring into a Sunday school, but I hope that we can go deeper than that this morning. So if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 9, and I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole, it's a narrative of a storyline here, so we'll go look at it at the whole, and then I'll break it into pieces here for you. So Joshua 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn-out and torn and mended without worn out, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. 
But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It is still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of the three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shepherah, Beeroth, and Kiriath, Jerem. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Okay, when you take a first reading of that and just look at it, you think, 
how could they be so stupid? <laughs> you know, what were they thinking with this? It's, and Joshua, being the great leader that we know that he is, was a nitwit in this. Is that, is, and, and think about this. Joshua is the writer of this. He is the writer of this. And he's basically just spilling it out and saying, here's what happened, and here's some commentary about it, and it's basically, yeah, I screwed up. But um, we, we know this, that all Scripture has been breathed out by God, and the writers were guided by the Holy Spirit. And so the challenge to us is, <clears throat> yeah, it, when you, know, you just read this, is that the way this would come out in a Sunday school lesson for younger people would be, you know, don't be a Joshua, you know is make sure that before you do things, you know, you need, to, you need to seek the counsel of the Lord in those things. And, um, and, and there's other things that go on with this. That what's noted in the chapter, if, if you would have noted this, is that God doesn't speak and they don't speak to God. There's, God, there's a silence in this whole chapter in regards to it. And then... When I was looking up to see who can I, who can I plagiarize for this sermon, <laughs> is all I was finding is lessons on leadership. And I thought, that would just really be a boring. And is that what this is really about? And, and, and to me, the answer is no, it's not. It's certainly, you, you can draw elements of that for teaching. But that's not honestly where I want to go with this. In, in order to go where, I, where I'd like to take you this morning, I need to set the stage. Is that there's a, there's a lot of things that are going behind the scenes here in regards to it, and it's important that we set the stage right in order to see what was really going on. And so we're, we're going to go back through um, a lot of verses here real quick. So if you have a if you have a Bible like this, you want to lick your fingers. We're going to turn pages. If you've got your um, device with you, loosen up your fingers and stuff. That we, We've got to set what, why did this happen and wh why the reactions that happened with it. And, and the first is, is to realize this. is that We're going to look at first Israel's perspective in regards to this. And... And just go back to last week's sermon, just to Joshua 8. When you go back to the, the fall of Ai and, and Jericho in regards to it here, is because when in chapter 9, where it starts out and talks about that they heard, heard of this, is what is this in, in verse 1? And so what that is, is you go back to chapter 8. And just looking at verses 34 and 35 of chapter 8, is that you see here, it says, and afterwards, um, I'm sorry, is that in, in Israel's perspective here, I'm looking at Israel's perspective, is just what, <clears throat> what they have just done. And so um, what they were is that they were at the mount, at the, the two mountains, and... And, um, and what Moses, not Moses, Joshua, verse 34, is that, 
And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. And so Joshua had just read the first five books of the Bible here, is, is that that's that's the law of Moses there is the first five books. And that's what Moses had written to him. And so he went through that. Wouldn't that be a great sermon this morning? Just let's go through the whole five books. But they've gone through that. Now, in going through that, that's what we're going to take a look at. What were some of the things that they heard in the midst of that? Because they're critical to this story here. And so the first place I want you to turn to is Genesis chapter 9. And just going back to who are these people who are in the land there? And where do they come from? And what's, what is basically sitting on them? And in Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 24, we're going to see the, the curse on Canaan. And so... Starting with verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, in Genesis chapter 10. So just going down to Genesis chapter 10 and looking, starting in verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, and going onward with that. And afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territories of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zebulun, and as far as Lasha. So, so here we see the Canaanites, the, the, those who came from Canaan, included the people who Joshua is now coming up against here. Now go to Exodus chapter 3. In verse 7 and 8. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Okay, for now on, I'm just going to call him the big six. Okay. All right. And so from there is that um, we, we see now the people who are being particularly pointed out here for them. And so now go to Exodus chapter 23. 
Here we're going to look at verses 23 and 24. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the big six here, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their God, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. And then Exodus 33. Verses 2 and 3. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the big six. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So here we see that an angel's going to go, and God says, I'm holding back here, or else you're going to be in trouble. Here. <clears throat> okay, then... Go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 and 12. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the big six. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Did you read that? Is take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, and cut their ashram. And, and so, with that now, is go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, remember that these are things that were spoken to the, to the people of Israel. And as we saw in chapter 8. Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2. When the, peop when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations, and he actually adds one, this is the big seven here. Um, uh, <clears throat> and, he, and he says, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Okay, then Deuteronomy chapter 20, as Bruce just read. Now, this is where it'll start coming together. This will be the, the last one right now. Deuteronomy chapter 20. <clears throat> and I'm going to read in verse 10, starting with 10. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peacefully and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, and you shall put all of its males to the sword... But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city and its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves, and shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of the nations here. Okay, so we'll see this later, is that there's a distinction with what Israel was to do 
with the, those nations that were of the Canaanites and nations that were outside of that that they may come across. There was a different rule of warfare with that. So that'll start putting some of the pieces together to what the, the um, Gibeonites did. All right, so going back to chapter 9 of Joshua. Now when we start to put the story together here, we'll draw on some of these things here that the, the people of Israel were told, were read to from the law of Moses. So in chapter 9, again, verse 1, is what is it that the, um, the big six had heard of in chapter 1 when it says that they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and, and Israel. Well, what they heard of is the destruction of Jericho and Ai. They just, they, those were just recent events, and plus what happened in Egypt. They heard of these things, and how do we know that? Well, if you go down to um, what the Gibeonites said in verse 9, or, let's see, yeah, in verse 9, they said, we, that we've, they said to him, from a distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond. So they had, they had heard of that. And, and they had heard that the reason for these things was because of the God of Israel. The God of Israel was basically overthrowing and their gods in re, with it. And so, so we have a difference with the two groups here is that the big six here is that they join together. Their reaction to this is that, hey, let's take them on as a unit. Let's suddenly, they didn't necessarily get along all that great, but for this is that the enemy of my enemy is now my friend. Uh, is situation with that is where they're, they're going to come together and go against them. And then in verse 3 here, we see that Gibeon, um, <clears throat> but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they were on their part, they on their part acted with cunning and made ready provisions and, and then took together all these kinds of things. Okay, so who the people of Gibeon were, they were a combination, they were a clan, it was a city, Gibeon was a city, and the people around that particular area were a combination of the, of the Hivites and also of the Amorites. So there was kind of a combination of those two there. But the people in Gibeon is that they were basically coming up next, is that if you go from Jericho to Ai, and start moving west. Gibeon is, was just a little bit north of Jerusalem. And so now this is where the people of Israel, they're heading that way to Gibeon. And so when they hear of it, is that rather than join up with the others, they're going, uh-uh. For them, there was, if you want to say, an element of belief in this God of Israel is that he was going to actually do what they said. And so with that, is that, and this will come up next week in chapter 10, but if you look at chapter 10, verse 2, the people of Gibeon, is that these, these were not 
just a bunch of cowards. If you look at chapter 10, verse 2, it says, He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. These were warriors, and they're going, no, no. We're going to lay down our arms here, and we're going to come up with a plan. Now, the other thing they understood, too, is, is somehow they knew Deuteronomy 20. They knew Deuteronomy 20 is that there's, there's two plans. One for the people of Canaan, uh, is to, and that was, as it says here, is to destroy all of them. Is, to, is that to blot them out. But those from a foreign city to offer terms of peace to them. Offer terms of peace to them. And then if they accept those terms, then they would become your servants. Um, and you, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you would let them live. And so the Gibeonites know that. For, and how they know, we don't know. But they knew it. Enough, because this plan that they put together here is one where they are, going to, they are going to present with them false evidence to try to convince the people of Israel that they had come from a far land, when in reality, they've only come from 20 miles away. Okay. So, is, you know, the, the thing is, how, how did they know this? It, 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 it reminded me, somehow they, they, they must have got a hold of the, of the law, or at least somebody must have heard it. It reminds me of General Patton in World War II when he defeated Field Marshal Rommel in North Africa, and they asked him, how'd you do that? And he said, I read his book. Um, okay, so now... If, if you want, just in terms of where we are in chapter 9, I'm jumping to verse 7 now. So what the, the people of the, the, if you want to say the contingent from Gibeon come, and they, they come with all these things that look like we've, we've just traveled hundreds of miles to get here. And right away, the, the, the men of Israel, and, and notice that in and um, starting with verse 7 here, that it's not Joshua right away who jumps in on this, but it says that it's the men, the men of Israel do that. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, and how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, notice that what their attention is, is not, we're not talking to you, we're talking to him. Okay. They, they say to Joshua, that we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings. And, and so, in verse 11, so our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey Go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants, so come now, make a covenant with us. So Joshua is their focus, and they shift away from the men of Israel, and very convincingly, they, they present these lies and these deceits to him, and notice in the midst of it is just proper admiration for God. 
where they, they honor the Lord, a God of the God of Israel. And but notice that they say, but it's your God here. But they gave him honor in in terms of all of this. So now when we go down to verse 14 through 15 here, is that the, the, the scriptures here are going to show us that this was a very powerful, um, a very powerful deception that these guys put together. And so in verse 14, so the men took some of their possessions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. This is the men of Israel. So they take some of these possessions, and what they do is basically, it's, it's like with the food, let's just test it. Let's test some of these things right here. And it was a very powerful one. But notice that it makes note here, and, and remember Joshua wrote this and said, we screwed up. <laughs> we did not ask counsel from the Lord right here. And by taking some of their provisions, is, by using that term there that they took some of their provisions, is basically showing us that they were using their senses. They were basically making a decision of the flesh right there. Is let's taste it. Let's touch it. Let's see if this is real right to here, rather than um, turning towards the Lord in this. And so what, it ends up that they believe the story. They believe their story and, and that <clears throat> they did, in fact, come from quite a distance away. And so what they do is they, they make peace with them and they make a covenant in accordance to the law that we read from Deut Deuteronomy chapter 20. So they make a covenant and a peace treaty with them based on that, and which allowed Israel to have such a relationship with countries far away, but not with Canaanites. Okay, now, when, in verse 16 through 19, is that the deception gets revealed. So where Israel is, is now, they, they are about 20 miles from Gibeon, the city of Gibeon. And what we're going to see now is now Israel basically gets up and starts moving west starts moving west and starts moving towards Gibeon. And so from verses 16 through 19, what it says, and at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Okay? So as they're getting closer, something happened. You know, and it, what it probably was, they ran into some neighbors. You know, and they said, hey, Joe, good to have you home again. <laughs> and suddenly they go, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean <laughs> it's good to have him home again? We don't know what happened, but somehow as they were approaching Gibeon, it was revealed that, hey, this is where these guys are from. And so with that, that causes quite a problem with it. And now, <clears throat> so suddenly, this presents to the men of Israel, to the leaders of Israel, and to Joshua quite a dilemma, a, a just a situation. So to review again, is that the, the situation is that they've been lied to and they were deceived. But in the midst of that, and, and, and that Israel did not consult the Lord in regards to it and believed the story of these people from Gibeon. So they make a treaty, and they make a covenant okay, in regards to it. So 
what comes to them is what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to violate God's command for us to blot these people out and at the same time then violate the covenant that we made in the Lord's name with these people? And so what we've got is this dilemma of sin. Sin just circling right here. And somehow they have to figure out how do we get out of this because we've got sin on sin possibilities here. And so what it is here is <clears throat> what to do is do we wipe out the, Gideon, Gideon, the Gibeonites and break our oath, which would be sin, or do we just realize that this is what we did to the Lord so in regards to all of this. And to, to, for them to have break the covenant that they made with them is, would be what's, what's considered the sin of blood guilt to do that. And so we'll see that come up here in a, in a little bit. All right, so as a result of this, and <clears throat> stating in verse 17, and the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were those cities there. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders said to the congregation, for we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. Okay, so the people murmured. This is kind of a pattern. <laughs> This is the eighth time in the scriptures that the people of Israel murmur. So, and the word murmurs, you know, it's interesting that it's, it says that murmur because what it means is like to whisper, murmur, 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 you know, with things. And it's a pattern of the Israelites. It, it means to maliciously gossip among each other in regards to us. And, and it's, a, it's a reality of leadership. Those of you who are in leadership position, have you ever made a decision where everybody agreed with it? Um, is, is, um, is that murmuring is kind of a, if you want to say almost something that's natural in our sinful place, is to murmur against leadership. So what to do? Well, what they're going to have to do is get back on track. This is what the, they're, they're going to have to do something here and how do we just get back on track on what happens here? So that's where we pick it up in verse 20, is that in, here we see that this will, we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live so that they'll become cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So what they decided to do now is this, is that um, rather, than break, um, rather than break the oath and the covenant, we'll, we'll stick to that. We will treat them as a distant country. We will, we will do that. But in doing that is that they will now become servants to us. And they'll become servants in two ways. One is that they'll become household slaves to households, but also what Joshua mentions here is that some of them, and he says some of them, will be servants in, um, to the Lord. 
And what they will become is servants into the tabernacle. As cutters of wood, someone had to chop the wood to keep the fires for the altars going. And by drawing water, just something that they would be serving to the needs of whoever it is that they're serving. So as cutters of wood, they basically took care of the altars in doing that. And what happens is that later on, it, well, the interesting about, the thing about that is that in order to do that, they have to enter into the tabernacle. And so they're allowed entrance into that. And later they would do the same thing. They would become um, servants into the temple, into Jerusalem. However, as, as Gentiles, they cannot become members. It's kind of like here, if, um, if you contact me and say that, hey, I want to lead a Bible study here and do that kind of thing, I'm going to look up, are you an attender or are you a regular attender? Okay? If you're an attender, you're welcome here and do all that kind of things, but you cannot teach a class here, you can't serve until you are a regular attender. And so it's kind of the same thing there, is that they were able as Gentiles now to at least have access to the place where God met his people, but they couldn't go to the inner chambers of that. And so Joshua confronts them in verse 22, we see here that Joshua summons them and he says, Why did you deceive us, saying we're very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore you're cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants. Notice he says, Some of you will never be anything than servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, and just to sum that up real quick, is that's okay, it's better than dying. And it's better than you wiping us out, that we worked out this deal here. And, and so with this is that the, it ends up they serve the people and also the altar of the Lord. And the chapter ends with um, here is that they did this to this day in the place that he should choose. That term, that place that he should choose comes from Deuteronomy chapter 12. And basically what that is, is the end of the journey. That, that, that is the place that God chooses, is when they have the land and the end of the journey with it. Well, what happens to the Gibeonites? What happens is, is really interesting. So, Like I said, is that um, some will become servants eventually even to the temple. And later, they are called the Nephium, or the given ones to the priests. And what they did is, again, is that they served the priests, or they're called the temple servants. And we read about them in that some of them went in the exile to Babylon and came back and served. And so we read about them in Ezra and Nehemiah. Gibeonites helped build the wall of Jerusalem after the exile of and when they returned to Jerusalem. One of David's mighty men was Ishmaiah of Gideon. He was a mighty man among the 30 and a leader over the 30. And then when King David, um, early in his reign, in 2 Samuel 21, is God sends a famine for three years on the nation of Israel. And so when David inquires of the Lord, why is this? The Lord says, this is blood guilt 
from Saul um, because he um, because of he killed he slaughtered some Gideonites breaking the vow that was made to them and so we we see that in the story here is that it, it's just how fascinating it is that um, God gives access to him through this but Here's, here's the point of the story for us. You know, we, we can draw things about leadership and what wasn't done. You know, I, I'm really, I'm excited about the prayer initiative that the elders have placed for us to, to put an emphasis on prayer. And certainly from the story, you say, hey, we better pray before we do things or we'll, we may screw up like Joshua. Uh, but there, there's those kinds of lessons. But here's the thing. What great mercy. Great mercy is that here's a group of people who were sentenced to death was on them. For certain, the sentence of death is on them. And, and, and with this is that they certainly didn't deserve mercy because they lie and deceive and do all those kinds of things to save themselves in the midst of it. But God gives them grace. God gives them mercy to this. And, and you know, uh, uh, people that should have been blotted out are rescued only by mercy. Only by mercy. And only by grace. And, and they're given even access to a certain point, to the place where God meets his people. That is, I mean, I was, it was just, it helped. I, it took me to where I am, a sinner condemned one day and, and saved solely by the grace of God. No, no different. I, I am no different than the Gibeons. No. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll end with this. One of the reasons that um, in doing... The, the one Sunday school class, Ephesians, right now, was for this very thing, not just this story, but how much our salvation, how much what God has done to us as a church, not just faith Bible, but I'm talking about his church, is, is so, there's so much crossover to the book of Joshua. But do this is, um, I, I will read it to you. Um, if you want to just listen to it, but, but listen to it through the lens of what God did to the Gibeonites in this. Chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, by the Spirit. Lord, thank you. Thank you for such, such mercy that was given to the Gibeonites, to be a foreshadowing of what would be given to us through Jesus Christ. So for Joshua having the humility to write the story out the way it was, but above it is just to see just the power of your mercy and grace that brings those of us who are far off, brings us near to you through his blood. And we pray this in his name. Amen.